0: Coming up, we were able to catch up with Father Richard McNeely, Director of the Office of Vocations, for a brief interview in the midst of all of his travels and work promoting vocations, visiting seminarians, helping with discernment, and more. Welcome to Around the Archdiocese.
1: Sharing information, insights, and stories about our Catholic faith from across the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston, you're listening to around the Archdiocese. Here's your host, Sean O'Driscoll.
0: Hello and welcome. My name is Sean O'Driscoll. I'm blessed to serve as the Senior Communications Manager here for the Archdiocese and serve as the host of this program. Now, this is an episode that we wish we could have done several weeks ago back when it was National Vocations Awareness Week, but this guy is so hard to pin down with his schedule Uh, In fact, this is going to be a shorter episode because you don't have a lot of time today. You're constantly on the move. And I'm speaking, of course, with my colleague, Father Richard McNeely, Director of the Office of Vocations for the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston.
1: Father, welcome. Thank you, Sean. Hi, everybody. Thanks for spending time with us today. Yeah, it's it's good to be here. It probably was my fault that this is a little late (laughs) because I was out of town on National Vocation Awareness Week, so we couldn't do this podcast.
0: But you were out of town because... Well, you, your position as the director encompasses quite a lot, if I understand correctly. What does a typical day look like for you? Or let me back up. Is there a typical day in the life of vo- of a vocations director?
1: Yeah, there's probably not. Uh, and it, it's it's good to point out that I am not just the director of the vocations office, uh, but I'm also the director of seminarians. So I spend a lot of time visiting seminarians, uh, managing it's probably not the right word. Sometimes I refer to myself as like their manager and kind of like a a baseball kind of way. Um, But I'm, you know, support. I'm somebody who follows up with them and kind of checks in on them, seeing how they're doing. Uh, We get an annual report from their seminaries and not everybody's at St. Mary's. I think that's what confuses people.
0: I think that that is confusing because we hear, well, there's a seminarian, but he's not over at St. Mary, he's not here in town, so how is he still a seminarian for our diocese?
1: Yeah, so seminaries are like schools, um, and we can send them out to various schools or seminaries. One of the things that's probably helpful to know is that the St. Mary Seminary only handles what we now call configuration stage, which is where they learn their theology. It's kind of like the graduate level of seminary. It's the seminary they go to before they get ordained, but it's not the seminary they usually start at. Some guys can start there if they've already um, met a lot of prerequisites and and done a lot of work already. So this would be like a background in
0: philosophy, basic theology, before they are able to sort of get to, as you... That analogy of a graduate level study,
1: yeah, that's correct, although we don't want to conflate all of what we do to just the academics, but it's definitely a part of it. So if you don't have a college degree, you can't go to St. Mary's yet. You really have to go somewhere else. But there's a lot of other work that they do in training the man how to pray and and some of the basic rhythms and habits that a seminarian needs. They do that work at the at these other seminaries we send to six seminaries in total, including St. Mary's. Wow. And, and in that case, like, yeah, I was out of town, I think the week uh, before I was in Dallas, there's a seminary called Holy Trinity Seminary there at the University of Dallas. And then there's another seminary that we're sending to uh, in Conception, Missouri. It's part of a monastery, Conception Abbey. And uh, I, yeah, so I was in Missouri, in rural Missouri, in Conception Abbey at their seminary when when we had National Vocation Awareness Week. So you're managing
0: all the seminarians on top of if someone is curious about or says they feel a call towards the priesthood or religious life, that's also under your purview as well.
1: Yeah, so we really, we're an office, we like to say office of vocational discernment. And we're an office that really tries to accompany young people from kind of early stages of thinking about their vocation and for men called to diaconate and priesthood, we're going to accompany you all the way to ordination. So, I, I mean, the vocations office has been walking with some guys who are called to diaconate and priesthood for like I don't know, twelve years. Wow. By the time they get ordained, yeah. So we really, you know, that's kind of a one of the joys of being a vocation director. Some of these guys I really get to know well uh, because I've well as. Like as long as I've been in this office of vocations, they've been in seminary or I've known them, you know, because I reached out to them or they reached out to me in like 2018 when I started and now they're in seminary and we're still, you know, in communication, talking about their faith, talking about their growth and trying to talk about how uh, God is really calling them to be that holy priest. So it's, it's a lot of fun in that sense. I get to know some people really well. You get to accompany them on that journey. Which, to have that continuity,
0: you know, you become kind of that that physical embodiment uh, of of that uh, that dedication, that promise. You know, that God will always be there with us, that the church will be there with us. You become that living embodiment for these men as they go through this.
1: Yeah, I am the representative of the church in, in those cases. Really what we say, I'm, I'm the representative of the bishop or Cardinal Donardo in those cases. So he also is somebody who follows, you know, the seminarian's progress through reading these reports and things like that. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, he'll delegate a lot of that um, very grateful for his delegation. A lot of that falls to my responsibility and I kind of report things to him. Um, so we both look at these seminarians, but I'm probably the one who's going to meet these seminarians annually or, or semi, twice a year, semi-annually and, and things like that and, and take care of them during the summers um, so that we take that off <laughs> of all the many uh, responsibilities that Cardinal Turner has to do. So You talk about this process and this journey. Um, I'm curious
0: about your own journey and and how you came to the priesthood. Is this something you always wanted or always thought about? I mean, we hear stories from some priests where, oh, I remember playing priest when I was young and my mother made me, you know, little vestments and I would, you know, act along all the motions that the priest was doing on the altar. Um, And yeah, I hear others who were, well, no, I, I hated CCE. I didn't like going to mass, but In both ways, God ended up calling them to the same vocation. What was your journey like?
1: So we, um, in the vocations office, we really do walk with people from the initial stages of that journey. And for everybody who, you know, wants to be a priest or a sister, at some point there was a moment where they had to want to follow Christ, where they have to be a disciple. And so that's kind of where we pick people up. Uh, men and women who are disciples trying to follow the Lord. We have a lot of resources in the vocation office to try to uh, reach them and help them further that journey of discipleship. And so for me, I didn't start discipleship until I was much older. I, I guess somehow um, it's it's funny uh, that I you know, I went to Catholic schools for all my life and things like that, but I guess I never really took my faith seriously until I was in college. And I started to have like stirrings of like real desires to commit my life to Jesus. And a lot of that was in response to graces and, and just experiences of God's love that, um, yeah, I'll treasure for the rest of my life. I, I remember once it was really like, um, uh, a good Friday where we had a new pastor, father John wire was reading out of the diary of St. Faustina. And I heard Jesus tell me that he loved me so clearly. Um, I was crying in church uh, uncontrollably. Like I I, I am embarrassed usually to cry or certainly I was (laughs) as a teenager. Um, I guess I might've been 21 at that time. Uh, still embarrassed and uh, just, just, yeah, I was so moved by the love of God. I think that's where my discipleship journey really started to take place i had been taking my faith a little more seriously in college because i had some good friends who were trying to live their faith they challenged me a lot and i went to a catholic college um, and so there were some great classes i was a philosophy major along with business and and some of those philosophy classes really challenged me to think about deep questions in life like what is happiness what is the meaning of life who is god how can i know he's real um, and how can I, um, you know, what is my goal and how can I achieve it? So I, I guess those things all kind of, uh, set me up for this conversion experience, um, a conversion of heart. And, uh, from that time on, I really tried to live my life in a way that was like, I want God in my life and I want to follow Jesus. Uh, I want to know him. And I spent a lot of time doing that so much. Like I remember, after that conversion experience, I was the, the kind of guy who would get people to pray the Chaplet of Divine Mercy at 3 o'clock. And uh, also, I, I read St. Valsina's diary more than I read my textbooks. And so, <laughs> it didn't go well at finals time. I was kind of you know overboard. Um, but it all evened out. And I think at that point in my life, I started to really think about what is God asking me to do? What can I do for God? Because I know how much he loves me now, and I want to love him back. And it wasn't until that point that I really began to ask those questions. So I, I recognize that, you know, people are in a lot of different points I- in their faith. It, it is kind of a journey. Uh, hopefully it ends in heaven, not in hell. Um, but, you know, from the moment of baptism, those people are called and s- to, to holiness, to God, to union with God. But they're also called and given a mission. And I, I guess that's the thing is that, like, they won't begin to really receive that mission until they've reached some of those prerequisites. They've got an open heart. They've started to follow the Lord. And those are the people we work with now. And it's kind of a joy because I, I guess I, um, I get to work with people who are on fire, you know, for the love of God, just like I was in college and are looking to find out like, what, what does God want me to do? What can I do for him? Um, yeah.
0: Talk about that, that, that question, what does God want me to do? We've thrown out the word discernment several times now in our discussion. And I think so many people aren't quite sure what the actual definition is. I think secularly we get this idea that, well, discerning is kind of, okay, I say a prayer and say, God, what do you want me to do? And that it's just a simple, well, I felt in my heart I should be a priest, so I guess I'm supposed to become a priest. But my understanding is it's more of a process, not really a moment.
1: Yeah, it shouldn't be a moment. I mean, I try to tell people, you know, who are thinking about priesthood, you can't be a priest in a year, not even in like four years. Like it takes a long time and that's built in by the church because we don't want somebody making a quick decision about being a priest because we know that the commitment won't be there. That needs to develop and it just takes a long time to do so. So, you know, if you're going to... um Equip and train somebody to be like a leader in the faith. They've got to have pretty strong faith. A lot of guys probably are afraid of priesthood for that reason. They're thinking like, "Man, I just, you know, I can't do this." Well, you can't now, but after you know seven or nine years of training, you probably can uh, because God can work on a soul and in that way. Anyway, I, I guess uh, I don't know if I answered your question there. I, <laughs> I kind of lost him.
0: I, I was discerning your response, so yeah. it's okay. <laughs> but,
1: but but to say something about discernment, you know, we've actually tried to start to use the word discover. And I haven't changed my language because I'm still using the word discernment. But we want to we want to put it out there that really discernment is discovery of your mission, and you're right that discovery. You know, it's it's a not a one time thing. It, it's it's something that I think people don't even realize, but it happens in the seminary, really. Like, that's why we put you in a program for that long is that, you know, guys who go to seminary are pretty convinced that they're called, but they need to further discern that as they discover more about who God is, who they are and things like that. Um, But discovery starts again with that turn to discipleship. Like, I want to follow the Lord and it it needs some prerequisites. You you have to have an open heart um, and you have to have that attitude of like, I want to do what God wants not everybody has that. You probably also need a prayer life. You need some silence in your prayer life. The prayer life needs to be committed. Um, you know, we don't find guys who are, um, or women for that matter, who are called to religious life or priesthood, who, you know, go to Sunday mass once a month, um, who pray before meals only, you know, that that's not, the stage of people who want to commit their life to Jesus, because then they're going to go to from that to multiple daily masses and you know just, hours. Just, just, of just give
0: them the multi-volume bravery and there just watch go. their their head spin. That's right. Figure out these ribbons.
1: <laughs> I guess that's
0: something I wanted to ask about as well. I know your also your office also deals with women who are discerning religious life. How is that process different in discernment, or is there a difference in that discernment process for men and women?
1: I think it's a lot. it's very similar uh you know the one thing from our our perspective as people who are trying to guide and accompany we can't accompany women as far um because we don't have a diocesan seminary for women you know um we don't have like a convent so um in, in that case you know we we try to help women hear that call to um dedicate their lives to the Lord, to consecrate themselves, but then in what community or what capacity we we don't really have a say in that. it uh, be the same as you know, if, if somebody wanted to get married, at some point they need to start dating somebody. They need to find the other person and discern that with them. You, Being married myself, I found dating helped quite yes, a lot. <laughs> I, I, good. I mean, Sean, you would never say like you know, I prayed in a room for eight hours. I've discovered my call is marriage and uh, now I'm done. No, you you need to go find the person you're going to get married to. And then they need to agree to this. Like it's, it's not a, okay, God has shown me all these signs. I'm called to marry this person. Well, that's great, but he needs to tell them the same thing or you're not getting married. Uh, It's kind of like that in, you know, any other uh, version of consecrated life or priesthood. Um, With diocesan priests, you discern, you know, with the help of the cardinal here um, and myself and the admissions board um, and the seminaries, when you're entering or thinking about religious life, you have to discern with the community. And so I think that's where we don't really have um, the next steps for the young women who are thinking about committing themselves to Jesus. Well, it's like, well, now we need to find you a community, but I don't do that finding you do. And there's so many out there, you know, I I can't really walk you through that process. Um, There's some initial guidance that we can give, but otherwise, I think that's where we kind of uh, say uh, prayers for the woman and goodbye. And they walk that part with
0: somebody else. I think helping someone, male or female, to discern, you know, their gifts, their talents, um, where God has given them, you know, those opportunities that kind of match up with the charisms of a particular order or a particular uh, ministry, whether that's diocesan or 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 whatever, I think there's a real opportunity within there that your office kind of takes a moment to not necessarily point them to where they should be, but to help them assess. Yeah. You know, oh. so, so if you if you're here
1: at A Maybe B is the next place you should be going. Yeah, we we don't want to. I mean, I don't want to make it sound like we don't have any, you know, guidance for women at that point. We, we we try to tell them, um, you know, how to listen to the voice of God, and then from there we point them in the right direction. Um, we don't just say like good luck, you know. Yeah. <laughs> now,
0: if someone was interested and felt like, okay, well, maybe God is calling me to the priesthood or religious life, how would they, like, what would be the first step for them? Do they go? do they call you? Do they start with their parish priest? Do they uh, find, you know, whoever the vocation sort of lay representative is in their parish? How do they get started on that process?
1: I think they can reach out to our office. We have a website, we have email. Um, They can follow us on social media and and, um, things like that. But really, communication would would be great. We don't have an overwhelming amount of requests for guidance. It's true that we can't guide somebody for six months. I mean, that, you know, we couldn't have, um, we just don't have the resources to be able to do this long-term for a lot of people. But in terms of like, look, one email and one conversation might be enough for us to point you in the right direction and say like, okay, I think it would be good if you got more involved in your parish or um, this spiritual director is really good, work with them, or here's a great retreat for you. Like we usually actually, this is our, our thing in the office. We just try to point out the next step. We just need you to take the next step. We don't need you to make decisions usually or, or like sign up on the dotted line. Um, just take the next step.
0: You have had a variety of, of ministry opportunities within the diocese at different parishes and doing different things. What is it about vocations ministry in, in your role now? What is it for you that you find just edifying and rewarding?
1: like i said working with seminarians uh watching them through that process is has been really beautiful i mean when i go to ordination you know i know how much um went into that moment how much suffering on the part of the man how much waiting um how much change how much grace and and so those are really beautiful moments um having worked with this man and then finally being able to see uh, him receive that gift from the Lord is is a tremendous joy. I think there are other uh, joys. I really enjoy working with the young church. I like to say, and, and maybe this is a, a topic for, you know, some other time, like there are some things I see that I think most people don't get to see. I know there are a lot of people out there who worry about the church. Um, maybe a, a kind of a generation uh, above me, like... Uh, um, baby boomers or, or Gen Xers um, sometimes I hear them talk about vocations or the church and there's a lot of crisis and urgency in their in their language but I when I look at the young church I don't see that I don't see a lot of um, room for fear or reasons to worry uh, I I know that people are like hey my son and daughter doesn't practice the faith but what I see because of who I work with are these young people who are, alive with the Holy Spirit and, uh, well into their faith who will change the world. Um, because you don't need that many, um, grains of salt to flavor, you know, something to, to season it. Uh, and there's just so much out there. Like sometimes I I go, like I was at the university of Texas yesterday, um, walking around through their student center and the campus.
0: Father Jonathan, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, he was originally from Houston.
1: That is correct. And in fact, I actually did
0: part of my undergrad with him at UT years ago, but he's doing great stuff out there at the Catholic
1: center. He is. And you know, there, it's true that not every student is on fire and there are a lot of reasons. Like if you go to that school that, you know, you could lose your faith, but there's also this bastion of, um, like discipleship right on the edge of the the bell tower of campus here. And it's just reasons to really hope. Um, certainly the same could be said of like Texas A&M and a lot of, uh, you know, these colleges like UST and um, things in our own Houston area. There's just a lot of hope. I think these schools um, where young people are kind of nurtured, are now areas where you could grow in faith, uh, whereas they probably weren't you know ten or twenty years ago, and uh, things like that just make me really hopeful that like I don't care what trials are going to come. they're not going to be able to stamp out you know God's movement in the young people. Last
0: question, I know you have to go, but for the average person just listening, maybe they personally don't feel a call through priesthood or religious life, maybe they're already married with children. What can they do? What's one or two simple things they can do to promote
1: vocations? Sure. Uh, one is to pray. So we, I, I, I know that sounds, um, I want to use the word banal, like it sounds pretty common. It sounds uh, pretty mediocre or menial. It almost sounds like it's too, too simple and too easy. Yeah, but that's exactly where we all need to start and sometimes stay. Prayer really is, uh, I mean, communion with God, beseeching God for things. That's where it starts and that's where it finishes. God is going to be the one who raises up uh, people to the priesthood. I don't give people their vocations. I don't call them. God does. So I, I really want to ask people to pray for this. Uh, certainly their support in other ways is welcomed. Um, I mean, we do run off of things like uh, DSF for the Corpus Christi collection. Um, we're very grateful for all of our benefactors, including like the Scanlon Foundation, who helps us out so much. Uh, and there, there are probably some volunteer opportunities, to be honest, that, you know, as a parish, once a parish priest, I, I knew that so many of the parishioners ran things. And, and here in the Chancery Department, we don't have people who run things other than the paid employees. And we're not enough. Like, we just can't do this alone. So there are parish vocation committees. There are other opportunities to serve. And they could contact our office asking us, hey, how can how can I serve? We'd love uh, for people to collaborate with.
0: And a lot of this information is available on the website, which Houston, is... Houstonvocations.com. Houstonvocations.com. And you can also follow Houston Vocations on social media to keep up to date on upcoming events, uh, ways that you can get involved, prayers highlights of some of our seminarians uh, who are scattered throughout the six seminaries preparing, uh, God willing, for the priesthood, um, reminding everyone that's not only a discernment for them, but a discernment for Cardinal and for the diocese uh, as well. So we just ask for prayers all around. Father, thank you so much for spending some time with us. Thank you, Sean. It's been a pleasure. Really appreciate it. And as always, if you want to learn more about the ministries and offices of the Archdiocese, you can find us online at archgh.org. That's A-R-C-H-G-H org. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time here on Around the Archdiocese.